Walk in Your Excellence. I'm your host, Sean Larry, and thanks for listening into this week's episode of Walk in Your Excellence. So let's talk about one of my favorite people on the face of this planet, other than Beyonce, Oprah. My earliest memory of Oprah Winfrey was her talk show many, many years ago that my grandmother religiously, I mean religiously watched every single afternoon when we were growing up. I mean, granted, we didn't have cable, so there wasn't too much to watch on channels 9, 11, 13, but Oprah was the highlight of our childhood. I remember seeing this beautiful black woman in all of her glory as she became one of the most powerful women in our country, and yet she had such humble beginnings. One of my favorite quotes from Oprah is, be thankful for what you have, you'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have again. Oprah's trajectory was not overnight, but she reached her tipping point, and literally nothing can stop her from taking over the world. My next guest truly reminds me of Oprah. Her tenacity, her energy, her spirit, everything about her journey is exceptional. Mia Dunlap is truly an inspiration to all. She is a graduate of Spelman College, a talk show host, a motivational speaker, a youth advocate, and has served as a teacher, a dean of students, and a principal all before the age of 30. She has been the keynote speaker at some of the most notable university and conferences across the country. She is a life coach, and man, doesn't she have a story to tell the world. Please join me in welcoming Mia Dunlap. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, Mia? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you for having me, Sean Larry. Oh, my God. Thank you for for coming (laughs) on the show. Like, honestly, I'm going to be totally transparent right now. Seeing your work and the the show that you are now doing revolutionary things with was the final cherry on top of the cake for me. Mm. It propelled me into launching the Walk in Your Excellence podcast. Yes, And so I want to take a moment to tell the world and to thank Mm. you for the great things that you are doing to inspire everyone, including myself. Uh, And I'm so, so humbled by your work uh, and grateful for the connections that you've allowed me to have based Mm. on your experiences. And I just want you to hear that from me. And it comes from my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So welcome. Now I want this to be about you. This is your episode. (laughs) Tell us who Mia is. Let's see. I am what I would define as somebody who is uh, creating freedom, somebody Mm. who is living life with audacity. And what that really means, I feel like I've been saying that word a lot. And what it really means to me is how do I create freedom and happiness in what I want to do and doing the things that I truly truly love not that mm. I pretend to love right but how do I uh, use what I have and use the talents that I really feel like have been gifted to me and creating my life in mm. that way using those things and so it doesn't mean I'm looking for anything outside but all of the stuff that I need really is within and I mm. create freedom starting from within out um, and I really do have the audacity the patience the daring the courage yeah. to to do that yeah and so Mia Dunlap is a movement. Yes. I'm a movement, and I am requesting and requiring from the universe that I be free. And awesome. I'm, I'm requesting and requiring it for myself first. Yeah. Oh, Mia, you use words in such an intentional, purposeful way. <laughs> oh, hearing you speak, like, I don't even know what to say next because I'm so <laughs> engulfed in what you're saying. Tell us about some of those strengths and some of those talents that you think that, that I know you bring to the world. So I am... 
as you said, I do the Audacity show, mm-hmm. and that show really, uh, I remember being um, nine and 10, and actually I was looking at Ricky Lake, and I was looking at <laughs> Oprah Winfrey when I could catch her. So Ricky Lake was a, the show that came on in enough time for me to get home from school, like right. at four o'clock p.m., but I would be watching both Oprah and Ricky Lake simultaneously mm. throughout my childhood, and I would be saying, oh, I can do that. Oh, that's the thing that I like. I Even like as that. a child. Even as a child. Wow. Real talk. Like, really as a child being like, I like that. I like how she's going to the audience. I like how she's talking on this talk show. She's a really great host. And so when I started the motivational speaking company, I, uh, Adversity Yields Audacity, back in 2013, I thought that that was it. I thought mm-hmm. that I was getting at that hosting. Mm-hmm. And so I went and spoke at Spelman. I spoke at high school graduations, at high schools in New York, in Chicago, um, some of the toughest high schools and ele- mm-hmm. elementary and middle schools in Chicago. Um, I also spoke in New Orleans. And so I had all these different experiences, but it just wasn't quite quenching my thirst Mm -hmm. and I kept saying there is something else but I can't quite put my finger on it and I remember reading this quote that said go back to what you wanted and dreamt of as a child Mm -hmm. what is that thing and see if that thing still makes you tick yeah and so I remember being like oh yeah I remember Oprah I know Oprah I still see her and you know I I get tingles every time I hear her mm-hmm. I mean I remember Ricky Lake I remember her going to her studio audience and being like New York New York and right, here, right, right. here's where I am right mm-hmm. and then I did it right like I did it and then life coaching for me was really about how do I not be selfish with what I know is possible mm-hmm. um, and how do I help other people create the life that they want um, versus me just having it. Sometimes it gets lonely. People write yeah. me say like, oh, it's, it gets lonely at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, not if you share the wealth. It doesn't have to be. I like that. Right? Like it doesn't have to be lonely at the top. We can create a world where people, we, we help give others access. We yeah. help give others opportunity. And so that's really what life coaching is about for me. And um, I'm working on a book. Awesome. That um that really I think pulls on my heartstrings is the stuff that Naira Waid says. If you're having a hard time writing, that means you're writing something other than what you're hearing, mm. right? Like I'm trying to write I about to stuff. Hear that. Yeah, like writing about stuff that's like, oh, let me write about this, let me write about that. But that's not what you're hearing in your soul to yeah. write. Yeah. And so this book has been so many years in the making, um, because I've been writing about that other stuff rather than a thing that makes me so raw. Yeah. And so vulnerable. Yeah. And um, even now I'm getting chills thinking about the writing that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, that's going to be so powerful when I publish. I love it. I love it. And it, you're, again, of course, truly inspired. You mentioned something about, like, uh, what's the thing that makes you tick? And as you were saying that, uh, you remember Sister Act, Sister Act 2? Yeah. Lauren Hill, one of my favorite <laughs> movies. I talk about it probably every episode. But um, there's a point in which uh, I forgot who was telling Lauren Hill this, but she said, you know, what's that thing that you can't, that you wake up every day thinking about? Like, mm-hmm. that's the thing that you should be doing. Yeah. And so to feel the power that's coming from you, like that you're exuding right now because you are following your passion, it's like the world needs to hear it. The world needs to feel it. Uh, And so I'm so happy that you're on this show sharing it. Um, I definitely want to get into the like nuts and bolts of like what's happening behind the scenes with the book. Not yet, but I want to get there. So just to prep you for it. 
But I'm always excited to hear about like people's childhoods. And so mm-hmm. I definitely want to hear um, how it is that you grew up. You grew up in Chicago, correct? I grew up in Chicago. Chicago. Now, Chicago is no easy place to grow up in, yeah. right? Depending on where you live. Like, not all of Chicago, you know, it's like with this narrative that what America has, you know, Southside sure. Chicago and struggle. It's actually, Chicago is one of America's most attractive cities, in mm-hmm. my opinion. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I've I've been in a couple schools in Chicago in the last I would say year um, because there is such a, a great need for schools there great schools particularly for Black and Brown children. Tell me what your childhood was like growing up in Chicago. So I lived in that Chicago that we are reading about and mm-hmm. that we are hearing about and that we are seeing on the news. I lived through that Chicago. Okay. And so a lot of actually the news that I hear, I'm like, it's propaganda. It's propaganda. They're lying. They're lying. Mm. Um, But if I really let myself know and really let myself feel, Mia, that was was home. Mm. That was true for you. Um, you ignored it and you became numb to it, but it was true. It was reality for you. Did you you even notice it? I feel like when you're growing up, it's hard to like notice those things until you become more, you know, conscious, I guess. I didn't but it wasn't because I couldn't or because I wasn't conscious. Mm. I intentionally didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom would often joke and say, people don't even know I have a fourth child because either you're at school, you're at, li- at the library, or you're at church, or you're somewhere other mm-hmm. than home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just my escape. I needed a safe haven because I knew home would drive me crazy. So a little bit about my childhood. I grew up in the Chicago Housing Projects, uh, 45th and State. Um, mm-hmm. 45th, right in the heart of what they call what we call the hood. Okay. Since seven, and so before then, you know, I thought we were middle class. I thought we were fine. I didn't think much of. I mean, I, I guess I couldn't, but I didn't think much of where I was growing up until we moved into the housing projects. We lived on the seventh floor for almost, I don't know, ten years, mm-hmm. and it was. I mean. I, I literally remember leaving my building from the seventh floor, elevators being broken, walking downstairs that were pissy, muddy, mm-hmm. dirty, mm-hmm. Um, hearing all kinds of things happening. If it were not people um, having sex somewhere in the building, it, it was people getting high somewhere in the building, or it was drug dealers running from the police um, because the police were in the building, or it was trash that was reeking that people didn't put down the incinerator chute. Wow. Um, but I remember facing it every day, and I remember getting up in the mornings and 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 um, really trying to get my sister, my younger sister and brother, ready for school. And sometimes it would be really, really hard because my mom would be asleep, my dad would be asleep, and they weren't really helpful then. Um, and so then some days I'd be like, okay, I'm just leaving because I know I got to get to school. Yeah. Um, and so I just made school my escape. School and church became my escape, and yeah. I spent most of my time there. I had this really stern and mean, what I thought then, teacher, Miss Strait, who I am still really, really closely connected with. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I'm like, oh my God, every time we come in the classroom, she's telling us to empty our pockets out, Mm -hmm. give her the candy in our pocket, it's too early. I'm like, girl, stop. (laughs) 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 Golly. But she's the most, most amazing woman that I know and she's really inspired me. She came to my college graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, she was there for when I opened my company. Like she, right? Like that. That was the person who gave me access and opportunity. I went to programs from there. I stayed at Co- University of Chicago for mm-hmm. weeks at a time on campus because of the access and the key that she gave to us as students, and I took advantage of it. And then church. Church was where I did my speeches. Yeah. Right. My mom and dad didn't go, but I used to get up. I used to run away to church when I would be on punishment. Mm-hmm. My mom would say. The only two things she could punish me from is church and school. 
because that's all I ever wanted to do. And so it'd be like, you're on punishment today. You're talking back. You're not going to school or church. Wow. And I would run away, literally. Wow. To places to places that were like good places to run away to. But I was, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I had other other places that, uh, other that things I could be right, doing. Right, right, right. And, and, I, and I'm saying this this journey not in the most noble way. Like mm-hmm. I'm not saying, painting this picture is like I was a perfect child. Right. Because there are certainly things that in the book you will hear about that I didn't even know that I was doing at 13. I was like, oh, this is a choice. I'm choosing to um, be intimate with this person. I'm choosing to do mm-hmm. this. But when I really think back now, it's like, how did you make a choice with an adult at 13? Yeah. What kind of choice was that? That right. wasn't a grown woman choosing something. Mm-hmm. You were you were manipulated. And that's hard for me to think about because I'm like, I was grown at 13. Like, I was, I was right. taking we care of stuff. That. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. The imagery that you created just of just like the, the hallways and the garbage mm-hmm. um, are things that stick stick with you for sure. Do you think that your childhood has impacted the way you make decisions or impacted um, your career choice? Hmm. If I got really honest, I think my life up until this very day has been living in opposition of my childhood. Hmm. So none of it has, until I, until I became conscious, actually I shouldn't say to this very day, but until I became conscious through therapy, and I go every week, but until I became conscious that I wasn't living a free life. I was living a life in opposition, and that's mm-hmm. no freedom. Yeah. And that's not free. Um, but I was living it because I uh, had suppressed a lot of the things that happened in my childhood and said, I will never live my life like this. And so what can I do? Like, how can I go the opposite way? Yeah. And so I've been running like yeah. hell, like yeah. crazy, the opposite direction yeah. of what my childhood was like. And... Um, it, it, I made it, right? Yeah. Like I made it out. I made it out of the place that I don't think I'll ever have to return to. And I yeah. don't ever plan to return to what it was like for me as a child. But every decision I've made has been in opposition. So it, my childhood has certainly informed where I am now. Mm-hmm. And if I think about uh, myself as an educator now, so you're right, I have been a teacher, a dean. I've been a principal before um, I, for a short stint, mm-hmm. right? I, I ended up resigning from my, my principal role. But... I am now an educational consultant yeah. for schools. And what I do is like I look at the student culture mm-hmm. and I th- really think about like what's needed to have this place be different for children. Yeah. Um, and so my childhood is also informed uh, by that decision. But I must say that if I were living and, and as I'm creating the world that I want for myself in freedom and mm-hmm. in audacity, that it was the decisions like quitting my job that was nearly six figures to mm-hmm. travel the world, mm-hmm. right? Like that was the life that I would I would peg for myself in freedom. It is thinking about my 30th birthday in just a couple of months. Uh, my birthday is June 16th, mm-hmm. same day as Tupac's. But it's June, <laughs> <laughs> it's June 16th and I'm thinking, oh, I wanna move to LA. Mm. And that's not a decision that's about my childhood. That's not a decision that's in opposition to anything. It really is a decision about like, I don't have to keep running. Yeah, I can now just, live yeah i could just live and in la what i'd be doing is school consulting i'd be writing i'd be doing the audacity show and i'd be doing some acting yeah i love it yeah so much of your story is like resonates with me because i I think we have very similar backgrounds and one thing i'm interested in hearing you talk about is like your relationship with your family now knowing that 
in large part you were in opposition. And I, the reason I ask that is because, like you, I'm a first-generation college student. I'm the first to graduate from high school in my family. Right. And to a certain extent, have gained a level of what America would deem success sure. as a principal in this country. And it's always hard, right? I'm always sometimes feeling guilty because I do feel like I'm still running from the hood. I still feel like, oh, I got to go. It's Christmas. Let me go spend my couple yeah. hours with family. It's Thanksgiving. Yep. Let me go and spend my couple yep. hours with family. And it's not because I absolutely love my family with all of my heart, but Lord, the headache and the heartache that I have to endure sometimes yeah. when I'm there. Um, and, and, and to a certain extent, I feel like they look at me as like, oh, well, you're too good for us now. You've made it in the world. Like, who are you? Um, do you feel any of that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And the feeling is two things. Survivor's remorse, mm-hmm. so I have a lot of remorse for having been the only one, which is why I say it gets lonely, but not if I create the opportunities where I help create it. And so for my family, what I've tried to do is, at first it was like, just give them money, Mia, give them money, give them money. And yeah. then it's like, yeah, yeah. well, that ain't helping. Yeah. Because they're still in the they're same kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. And so then it became, okay, so how do you give them access? So for my sister, she was 17. And I said, hey, come move to New York with me. I'll put you in high school. Um, and I'll sign an affidavit. I'll become your legal guardian. She was 16 or 17. I'll become your legal guardian. At the time, I was, what, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want, to, I want to show you what life can be like. Yeah. So I want to give you this That's access. Powerful. It lasted for maybe three or four months. And she was over it. I was over her. <laughs> <laughs> and we went our separate ways. But... It was my way of saying, here's some access. Here's mm-hmm. here's like a different world than what you know. Because really what got me through my childhood was exposure. I was telling you about Ms. Yeah. Strait, who was intentional about giving me the exposure yeah. so that I can know what's possible, Fact. right? And yeah. so that's what I try to create for my siblings. And it's not to say where they are is wrong mm-hmm. at all. But I don't think that they're happy with where they are. And I don't think they're where they want to be. And yeah, for me, I'm thinking... I want to create relationships where I don't feel like I'm I'm in the relationship with you because I feel bad or I feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. So one is survivor's remorse. The other is like obligation. Mm-hmm. So these holidays, it's like, oh gosh, yeah. go back home. I don't celebrate Christmas anymore because mm-hmm. my when I was a child, Christmases were hard. They were yeah. they were just hard. I, I hated Christmases. I hated not being able to give somebody something who I really loved and treasured and admired. People from church, people from school, we just didn't have it to give, and then. They were just like hard at home. Like mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of gifts, and the gifts that we did have, my dad, you know, spent some time as a kleptomaniac, what mm-hmm. I call a professional kleptomaniac. Yeah. And so sometimes the gifts would come from other people's houses mm-hmm. um, and be in a, under our tree. And so gotcha. I felt really guilty about that. But but I I'd say my relationships with my family now is sometimes I feel like it's about money. It's about when we need Mia. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've been trying to be intentional. I think that they have in some ways tried to be intentional about calling me to say, hi, how you doing? Nice. Um, My mom has been trying to do that, but I think I'm struggling with my parents um, with forgiveness still. And I think Mm. that's, that's where uh, therapy comes in for me. I've literally probably since I was in high school sought out therapy Mm. because I knew that I need, needed the support and I need the additional sounding board. Yeah. And, um, therapy now is taking off the layers of skin that I've used to cover up yeah. the hurt and yeah. the, the betrayal, the trauma. Um, and so now I'm like, I can now start, start to see my mother as, yeah. Oh, you had stuff too. Oh, this, this is why you make those decisions versus mm-hmm. I hate you. 
Yeah. And she told me, like, I hated you when you were a child. And I'm like, great, we hated each other. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine growing up in a house where your mother hates you? Yeah. And knowing that when you're seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah. and being like, great, so I'll stay away from you, stay away from me. Yeah. But yeah. needing a mother. Right. And now needing a mother, but not wanting to admit that I need a mother. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You were speaking to myself, me on so many different <laughs> levels. I just left this conference with, a, with principals from all across the country, and we had to do a random um, icebreaker. And one of the questions was, what is the one thing that you would change about your childhood? And half of me was like, nothing, right? Because I had such a fucked up childhood. I, mm. it, was, it was so challenging. It made me who I was. I'm resilient. I'm persevering. Yeah. I'm gritty. Like, I grew up in the hood. I have the best of both worlds. I love telling that narrative because yeah. it is who I am. And then really, as I thought about the conversation, um, and I didn't, obviously, I was not vulnerable enough to share this with a stranger in the room, but my answer to that now was like more love. And mm -hmm. so I recognize that, and it has impacted who I am. Like, I now know, like, as a as a black man in America, what it feels like to not have a father and how that has impacted mm -hmm. me over the years. And growing up, I was like, nope, I got this. I don't need a yeah. father, I don't need a mother, I'm good. Like, I got my grandmother, I got my siblings, I'm pushing through, I'm gonna make it. Um, and all that pain and anger, uh, I found solace in therapy. And I'm so mm -hmm. happy that you mentioned that because I wanna hear another perspective on this show about the benefits of therapy. Oh, Us as a community, yeah. it's so stigmatized and we don't want it. There's, But it literally got me through Cornell. Like yep. I was up at Cornell struggling through college. First generation college student, which I wanna hear your experience too. But what are the benefits? Like why should black people particularly go and, and get a therapist? Yeah, I mean, I'm in therapy and I go, What's interesting is I go to therapy twice a week. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have two sessions, and sometimes I can get them in one day, and sometimes it's different days. But I have an individual session, and then I have group therapy. Okay. And both are, oh, my gosh, they are hard as hell. Mm. They're hard. Um, but they release some things in me that I have for years been pretending not to know or didn't exist um, that I've been suppressing mm. and other parts of the, the, both group and individual therapy um, awaken me to myself, yeah. my best self. And it's part of the reason why I'm actually interested in psychology. I'm um, going to grad school. Part of the reason I'm thinking about LA too is like maybe I'll go to grad school. Maybe I'll study trauma and the way it impacts yeah. children and, yeah. and, and the way that they grow up, right? Mm -hmm. Like how does our shit mm -hmm. impact us yeah. early? Like how do we identify that early enough? Um, and we need more black therapists, yep. one, and we need more people who are saying out loud, I am in therapy Facts. and it is okay and I'm still a That's badass. Powerful. I'm still amazing. I'm still, right? Like, and yep. I am in therapy and mm -hmm. it's okay. And so therapy for me is, um, probably one of my greatest investments in myself. Mm. So I'll just give you a, a funny story. Somebody recommended this therapist to me and I'm like, oh God, like, okay. <laughs> you got a therapist that you're like, he's amazing. And so I go to this therapist and I find that he doesn't accept insurance. And I'm like, wait, what? Lord, <clears throat> hey, I can't. What? <laughs> and so um, I go to a couple of sessions and I'm like, can you give a discount? Like right. sliding scale? Like what's <laughs> sliding <laughs> scale? So he like, you better student, but okay. So he gave me like a discounted <laughs> rate. And I've been going to that therapist for the last three years. Wow. And sometimes it's discounted, sometimes it's not. But I've literally been paying out of my pocket because the therapy so is good. so freaking That's on powerful. point. And it touches me in ways that I'm like, 
Mia, if you left here, it wouldn't be about money. It would be because you're scared. Mm-hmm. Like it, it ain't about money. Mm-hmm. It really is about like I'm getting the work that I need and I feel the layers dropping and I feel the work happening. Yeah. And when it's not happening, it's because I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. It's really because he's like, hey, what would you say to this person? Or, or like he's really asking the deep questions and he's being with me in a silence. And sometimes I'm like, hey, I don't want to go there today. And so that's me, right? Yeah. I ain't on you know, him. Right. But that's also part of the work, saying, hey, I, I, I'm too vulnerable right now. Or like I don't, sometimes I'm like, hey, I don't feel comfortable leaving right now because I feel too raw. Mm-hmm. Can't, right? Like sometimes I ask my therapist, like, can you hold me? Like, can you hug me? Yeah. Um, like it, it gets that deep in my, in my therapy yeah. session. And it's called feelings therapy, mm-hmm. um, gestalt therapy. And um, my therapist cries, right? Like wow. because I have been so detached emotionally I don't cry a lot and I've experienced myself like detached from tears and emotion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so he does um because it's feeling therapy and I'm some in the beginning I was like well what you crying for right don't feel sorry for me I hope you're not feeling sorry for me yeah but then it becomes about right like yeah that shit is sad isn't it yeah like that does sound painful right Mm -hmm. wow and I don't even have access to my emotions right now to really be with it yeah wow that's so powerful Oh, thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people listening to the show need to hear that and hear that affirmation. Yeah. Uh, and to know that you are even thinking about becoming a black therapist. And I've been looking for a therapist. I've actually been kind of nervous. I read an article about how people fall in love with their therapist. Mm. And I am like so <laughs> longing for love right now that I don't want to get in that situation. So can I really, I've never told anybody this. Yeah. But so like for my therapist, I think I do love him. Right. Like I, I do. I, I can see how people fall in love. Mm-hmm. But here's a powerful and transformational thing. Because like I talk about that. I'm like, sometimes I, sometimes I think I love you. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's natural. You might feel that. But I'm glad you're willing to talk about it. Wow. I'm not your husband. I'm right. not your like, I, I'm not that I'm your therapist. But here's what you're feeling that's calling you to connect to me. Mm. Like I hear here. Right. Like I can have that conversational conversation in right. a raw way that. And, and, and it speaks to how safe I feel in that space to be able to say, do I love you? Like, what's happening? Yeah. Something weird is happening. Wow. I ain't supposed to feel like this about you. Exactly. Um, and him being able to say, like, yeah, those feelings might come up. Right. Um, but here, here, let me let me tie this in for you, tie this up for you so mm-hmm. that you aren't attracted to me or you, you aren't loving me. It's like you're getting somebody to give you attention. You're getting somebody to be with you and your stuff. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so... Yeah. No, that's a really interesting perspective. So uh, that makes me more comfortable. <laughs> so thank you. That I'm not the only yeah. one. Talk to us a little bit about your thriving show, like the Audacity show. Why did you decide to do it? I know you were a principal and you left like your job. Yeah. Probably not just to pursue this show yeah. for a lot of different reasons. But talk to us a little bit about that journey transitioning out of uh, an amazing job in education, which I know you loved. Yeah. Uh, and then now all the great benefits that the Audacity show is, is bringing towards you. Yeah, so the Audacity Show is an opportunity to show young people and, 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 and really give them voice in the world where there are so many messages about what young people are not doing. Mm. But like when we turn on the news and we turn on NBC, we turn on CNN, yeah. somebody is doing a school shooting, a mass shooting, this, that, and that is happening. And the Audacity Show is to really say, like, look at these 30 and under people being badasses in the world yeah. and being amazing yeah. and breaking generational curses mm. and living life on the edge and really having positive impacts in the world. Yeah. Um, look what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, look what's possible for them. And so it's not to say, like, I, I also don't want to miss send the message that, oh, if kids from the hood can do it, then anybody can, right. even though there are, like, stigmas, even though there are things right. in our way. Like, I'm not saying that, but I am saying, 
but somebody did and so look what's possible mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. so i want to send that message about young people and i think the traction that it's picking up has a lot to do with people identifying and relating to the people on the show yeah like people being able to see though oh i had that situation Oh, that's possible. You know, one young man, he had to, he felt like he had to drop out of school. Devon Graham felt like he had to drop out of college, even though he had a full ride athletic scholarship. Mm-hmm. They took the scholarship from him when he got hurt. And he's like, what am I? I don't want to take out the loans. I don't know what to do now. Right. And I don't want to put the burden on my mom. I don't want to put the burden on myself. What do I do? He dropped out. Mm. But he became a real estate agent. Yeah. Right. And he's booming. Mm-hmm. And so I can imagine there are people out there who are like, yeah, maybe I didn't get the scholarship, but I did get to college and I don't want to take out the loans or I'm scared of college. Like whatever the things are, mm-hmm. that there's always a second chance and there are always other possibilities. Yeah. And so what Carrie Ann Thomas said on the show was living the life the, the way that she has, has given her options. And that mm-hmm. really is all the Audacity show is. It's talking mm-hmm. about like the options that we have as young people. Yeah, so inspiring. Yeah, Mia, tell us how you walk in your excellence every day. I walk in my excellence by being, um, learning to be vulnerable, Mm. learning to be a champion for myself, learning to say yes to myself, learning to say no when it's time. I walk in my excellence by creating the world that I want to live in and by walking the walk and by talking the talk. And I walk in my excellence every day by really letting myself be free from the inside out. Awesome. That's beautiful. And guess if you have not seen her show, The Audacity Show, you are missing out. Mia, please tell us more about the show. Tell us where we can find you. (laughs) Tell us how to access the Mia Dunlap. Okay. So I am available at all places by my name, www.miadunlap.com. On Instagram, you can find me at Mia Dunlap Speaks. And on Facebook, I am my handle is my name, Mia Dunlap. If for whatever reason you're more of a YouTuber, it's a YouTube series. So you can also find the show under my name, Mia Dunlap, on YouTube. That's M-I-A-D-U-N-L-A-P. Um, and so tune in, listen in, uh, share your your thoughts, what comes up for you. Yeah. Um, when I'm is excited. It? Every Saturday, every Saturday morning uh, at 11 a.m., but it's it stays on. So if you yeah. miss one Saturday, Sunday, go look it up, and it's still on there. So Awesome. Well, Mia, thank you for being an inspiration, um, not only to me, but to literally everyone you touch. The lives that you've been able to interact with are drastically transformed because they met you. And so thank you for mm-hmm. coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mia Dunlap. You guys heard it here first. Talk show host, speaker, life coach, all around inspiration. Thanks for listening in. This is your host, Sean Larry. Until next episode, define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and remember, always walk in your excellence. Walk in Your Excellence is recorded at Necessary Studios in New York City. Produced by myself, Maya, and Nikki. Follow us on Instagram at NEC Studios. I'm your host, Sean Larry. You can find me on Instagram at Formula22 at Walk in Your Excellence. Tag the hashtag Walk in Your Excellence and visit my website, www.seanlarry.com. That's S-E-A-N-L-A-R-R-Y. Define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence. Excellence.